because uh, in the Haitian culture, when you're wanting to give praise or you're wanting to acknowledge something, like you just clapped just now uh, for the the video that Natalie did, they will raise their hands like this and they'll go like this and it's, Merci Jeji, Merci Jeji. That's how they offer a praise. That's how they, they spend their time speaking and, 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 and telling others around them that what they just heard or what they just saw was important. So I'm going to try this. We'll, we'll see how this works. Uh, bonjour l'église. Living grace. When te mancai un impil. When contan twen lake, when. Bonje beni nun tut. Bonje trebon. Good morning, living grace. I missed you so much. And I'm so happy uh, to be back home. God bless you all, and God is good all the time. That's, the gr- that's a traditional greeting. Uh, that, uh, that 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 we we would give in Haiti, and I want to give you guys some just a little picture. Uh, it, it's very difficult. Uh, Dave has said to me, he says, "I don't know how you're going to take uh, two weeks and compress it into an hour," um, and I'm not um, because it's not just not possible. But I'm just going to give you a few things just for you to chew on just a little bit. One thousand seven hundred and eighty-nine patients is how many we saw in eight days of clinic. 1,789 patients. That's amazing. In day, eight days of clinic. Um, and, and, and we saw them all and we served them all and we served them well. An- another number that uh, I- I'm so proud of is 195 brand new salvations, brand new people that accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Merci, Jeji. Merci, Jeji. That is amazing. That is amazing that, 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 that we, we bring a little bit of medicine and a little bit of, uh, of care, but a lot of love, and people responded. The other thing that happened uh, on, on this trip was... Uh, birthed out of this trip. You'll see a picture in just a minute of our team, but birthed out of this trip was uh, a dream come true. Uh, you guys have hold, heard me talk about Foursquare Disaster Relief and all the work that we do. Our dream and our desire is to continue to work with the local church because we as FDR, <laughs> we're four people in FDR with a network of 100,000 churches. So what our job is to take those 100,000 churches and when something happens, we launch out and we engage with the local church because who's better to respond to, the, to the, the crisis that's there than the local church that knows the culture and knows everything about that. So out of this trip, there was five of us that were Americans that went there and worked with a team and we birthed Foursquare Disaster Relief Medical Haiti that is now able to respond directly to, to, to situations that happen in the Caribbean much faster than we can get there. So without asking permission, um, because I've found in a lot of things that I do in my life, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, um, I gave away $1,100 worth of equipment uh, to our Haiti team 
that was uh, that was birthed at, uh, I- I- there, and so they now have uh, this this great crate full of radios and all of the stuff that I just gave away and had to replace yesterday. Um, to them, so that uh, they can respond, because that is the dream, that is the desire. Um, so you can turn the stage lights off for just a second. I want to show you guys some pictures. I'm going to try to tell you some real quick stories, uh, again, to encapsulize everything that happened in, uh, in, in the last two weeks. Uh, first of all, we, 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 had to, we arrived in Port-au-Prince. We arrived uh, on, on a Saturday, and, and I had to get in uh, because it was too dangerous for my team. Uh, to get in a car to transport all of our equipment and stuff to uh, to Lakai. Um, the reason it's so dangerous is everybody's heard about the warring factions and the gang warfare that is happening in 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 Haiti. That's in a town called Machisant, um, which we had to drive through. And so, because uh, I did not want to put my team in danger, and I figured I can hide well with my two Haitian friends, um, we'll just drive. And if things get bad, I'll duck down, and hopefully we'll get through. Um, and I put the rest of the team on an airplane to fly them uh, to to uh, to Lakai. By the way, I glad to hopefully if you're online watching today, I hope you guys are blessed. Natalie, actually, the one that did that video, is watching from her fire station in Bend, Oregon, um, and she was. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up, but this was her very first mission trip. She went from the frying pan into the fire, like right now. I mean, I, I mean, like right now. She just she showed up, uh, and with a team that she had, she had never met us until we met in Fort Lauderdale. Um, all five of us came together, and I was the only one that knew anybody. Um, and we just showed up in Fort Lauderdale, and we went. Um, but anyway, we drove through Machisant, and uh, uh, sorry, honey, I don't didn't necessarily tell you this, but. Um, there was a ceasefire that was called um, between the gang, the gangs that were warring, uh, for one week. Coincidentally, the week that we were driving through. So, you know, because everybody, we believe in coincidence, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, and they, once we drove through there, they, the fighting started again, um, and then the ceasefire was called again as uh, we all boarded an airplane, but my Haitian. Uh, family had to drive all the equipment and everything back. So I uh, had a ceasefire on both ends um, and a war in the, min- in the middle. So it was cool. Um, <laughs> uh, as I share this morning the message that I have for you guys, I want to intersperse a bunch of some pictures and some things about the trip because it was, there were was so many things and there was, there'd be no way I could really bring it all together. But the first picture I want to show you guys is a picture of our team. And this was actually just our, our, our part of our team because we had another 20 volunteers from each of the church organizations that, that joined us. But if you'll notice the, um, the, the picture there, there's only, how, how can you say, we'll just say it, there's only four of us or five of us that are white and from America, okay? The rest of everybody else are Haitian. And they're all pastors and team leaders. The guy in the very front is Jalovny. He, is our, he was our team leader that we trained up to, to, uh, to lead medical missions in the future. He's a, he works as a pharmacist. The two guys in the non-red shirts are two pastors, Pastor Gerald and Pastor Rosanel. 
Um, and then the rest of them are Haitian doctors, Haitian nurses, Haitian, I, I trained a logistician to, to, who's responsible for making sure that the team gets where they need to go safely and, and nobody dies and everybody gets back where they're supposed to be. So, um, but that was our, our, our team. Um, and uh, there's a million stories around those guys, but we'll, we'll go on to uh, the next picture. The next picture is, uh, was one of my favorite pictures. This is an old man. Um, I love ministering to elderly people. I love it. It's a passion of mine. This old man is blind, um, and he, uh, he came to the clinic, and people will come to our clinic, and they'll wait three, four, five, six hours in a line standing there. And, and while they're standing there, we do our best to take care of them. I buy little crackers and cookies and bag. It, you, don't, you don't have bottles of water. They do bags of water in Haiti. It's like a Ziploc bag, and they bite the end off and suck it out. And Anyway, so, um, but elderly people, I, I do my best. I, I break all the rules, and I just sneak them through the clinic. So I'll walk them station to station to station, and I'll get them through the clinic in 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Um, but this old man, I, uh, there was a couple other pictures as I was walking through. He was blind, and, and he placed his trust in me to walk him through the clinic and, and get him to where he's uh, being seated right now. And um, after I got him through the clinic, uh, I put him on a motorcycle. No, he was not driving the motorcycle. <laughs> he was, motos are a mode of transportation, and they will put five people on a motorcycle and and 12 cases of soda on the front and 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 drive them I, and i don't you know, if i show you some showed you some traffic pictures you would be amazed that people don't die but um he looked at me and he said pastor thank you thank you for helping me thank you for bringing me through the clinic thank you for all that you did for me as you walked me through the clinic and truth be known guys we, we saw him, he's pretty healthy for being well into his 80s and blind and arthritis and everything else. And we gave him a few acetaminophen, a few aspirin, and we sent him on his way and he was so thankful because that's all we can do. But we were able to introduce him to Jesus. And he's one of the 195 that found that found the healer of a life, of his life, in our Savior. The next picture is, uh, is, is one of uh, a lady, the lady in the middle. Well, Pastor Gerald is obviously the, one, the guy on the outside that's not me. Um, Pastor Gerald is somebody that I served with for 10 years in Lakai. And uh, the lady in the middle... Her mother was uh, a lady by the name of Madame Massillon, a lady that I met 10 years ago when I first went to Haiti um, and started doing some ministry there, and we called her the Yes Lady. And she was 92 years old when I first met her, and we called her the Yes Lady because we would get at night after the service was, they, they would start the music, and the music would happen, and she would dance. Yes! Yes! That was all she would say, and we would dance for hours, hours, with a full band, full band. We had a pot, a drum, a rain stick, 
and, and a cheese grater. <laughs> Baby, we were rocking it, I'm telling you, for hours, sweating, like, in ways that you can't even know. Um, but I ministered with her mom for about three years. So she was 92 when I met her, so you figure out the math. Uh, she was 95 the last time I saw her, and she came to me. Um, she rode her donkey from Lakai, the village that we were in, five miles into town every day to pick up cookies, casino cookies, and all of those things so that she could bring them back to the village so that she could sell them to make money to feed herself. And she came by uh, on the way. We were packing up and preparing to leave, and, and she came by on her donkey, and she said, Pastor Richard, pray for me. Like, Madam Mession, how can I pray for you? I, will, I would do anything for you. You're, you're an amazing person and, and probably one of the most special people I've ever had in my life. And she said, would you pray for me that I will live one more year so that I can see you once again? And uh, God granted that. I got to see her one more time, and we got to dance to the, before the Lord, and yes, Lord. And we danced, and then I lost track of her because she went to live with her, her, her mom, her mom, I mean, her mom went to live with her daughter in Port-au-Prince um, because mom was incapable of taking care of herself anymore. And uh, so I lost track of her. Uh, and while I was there, I asked the national leader of, of, uh, of, of Haiti and Pastor Gerald, I said, would you find Madame Massillon's daughter? I need to see her. I have pictures of her mother that, that the daughter has never seen and videos of her mother dancing before the Lord that she's never seen, and I need to show her that. And I says, this woman is so incredible and so powerful in my life. I have my, my credit card that I use for business has a picture of Madame Massillon on it. That's how special she is in my life, and they found her for me. And uh, we spent the next 10 days together uh, ministering the gospel, and she was ministering just like her mother did. Though we never got a chance to dance because we didn't really get a full band, um, we, uh, I, I know that her mom, Madame Massillon, was watching as her daughter ministered the gospel. Uh, the next uh, picture is uh, myself and Jalovni at church. Um, I got the, the amazing opportunity to, of teaching um, in the church, and uh, I, I figured out, you'll see in the... We're going to see, see that shirt that I'm wearing is the same shirt. We're going to see this morning if I cannot destroy it like I did in that picture because you're outside, it is 100 degrees and 90% humidity and sweat is flowing from places where it shouldn't um, and it is ridiculous. And I figured out why Haitian pastors wear jackets. And it is not so that they can look cool and stylish. It's to cover up the sweat that is pouring out of their bodies because you, it's uncontrollable. It's absolutely uncontrollable. And you'll see actually in the next picture um, how bad it was. It, it's not good. It's, it's just not good. But, uh, but people came that day and... Uh, and people accepted the Lord that day at the church. And people were, there was healing that happened. And lives were restored. And, and we were able to pray for a, a bunch of people under a tarp. Um, the, the church is uh, 
four wooden stakes and a tarp. And that's, that's the church. And it is wonderful, and God got all of the glory. The next picture is a, uh, a gentleman with, uh, what is it called? It's a keloid. Uh, he's had this for about two and a half years. Uh, believe it or not, you had to lift it up to see his eye underneath it. It's kind of a gross picture. But uh, the reason I bring that up is, is this man had been suffering with this keloid for years, and there was two and a half, three years, and there was nothing that could be done about it. But because our medical clinic with FDR was under the umbrella of the World Health Organization, the WHO, we had this amazing um, connectivity in what they call clusters. And our cluster was, uh, was able to take pictures of this man and send those pictures out into the cluster, and the cl- cluster found a specialist that just happened to be, again, coincidence, um, that just happened to be in Haiti that was able to take care of this without him having to go to the United States or to England to be, to be treated. And uh, I, I didn't get to see him afterwards, but I trust that, uh, that he, was, he was taken care of and that God... So it's like this. Merci, JJ. Come on now. There you go. Okay, got it. Um, the, next, uh, the next picture is a man by the name of Brutus. <laughs> what a name, Brutus. So, so Brutus come, came to us. We were setting up our very first day in the clinic, and um, we had a line of 150 people outside, and everybody, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get everybody in without starting a riot. Um, because Haitian culture is a very aggressive culture, very, very aggressive, and in order to be, in order to survive, you have to learn a little bit of aggression yourself, and so um, I'll tell you a little aggression story that I had with Brutus, and, but, um, but, but Brutus came, and he was like, what are you doing here? Obviously, in Haitian, through translators, what are you doing here? Well, we're here to do a medical clinic. No, you're not. You didn't ask my permission, and I'm the leader of this community, and you didn't ask my permission. You guys need to leave. So, well, young man, um, that's not going to happen. We're not, we're not going to leave. We've asked permission of the, the, the people that we felt we needed to ask permission. Well, you need to leave, or you need to give me something, or I'm calling all of my friends, and we're going to start throwing rocks and sticks, and, stu- and, and we will run you out of here. Um, through violence. I'm like, okay. So I went and grabbed the pastor, and I said, Pastor, what are we going to do, man? <laughs> I, I, this is your culture. This is your people. I don't know what to do. I mean, we're in, we're in your town, and Brutus is trying to run us out, and he says, um, give him a job. It's okay, we'll give him something. Uh, so we gave him a job. We made Brutus the head of our security team. <laughs> <laughs> Brutus kept everybody in line, baby. Mm-hmm. Anybody got out of line, go talk to Brutus, man. He'll, he'll, he'll ta- he'd take care of business. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so Brutus um, protected us, and, and Brutus is not a believer in any way, shape, or form. And we don't ever hire anybody to work in our clinics that is not saved, but there was something about this man. And the reason that there's a picture of him with this uh, lady and this little boy was uh, the little boy was having a really difficult time uh, breathing, respiratory, really bad respiratory problem. 
And he needed a nebula, he, we needed to give him breathing treatments. And so we gave him about four hours worth of breathing treatments. Um, but we needed somebody, and mom wasn't, wasn't able to do it because it's, it's, it's too hard. But uh, so Brutus held that little baby for four hours and held a nebulizer mask on his mouth so that the boy could, could gain his breath back. And uh, we were so impressed with Brutus um, that we hired him for, the, we moved three locations and we hired him for the rest of the tour. And we kept him with us at all times and he was so excited. And we asked him one day, Brutus, we need Sunday's church and we want you to come to church. He says, absolutely not. Why? I'm like, Brutus, you, you've been with us the whole time. We've seen some 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 softening that's happening in your life. We need we want you to come to church. He says, absolutely not. Why? He says, I don't have any shoes. So in the Haitian culture, um, I get myself in trouble all the time. I, I really do. Because I've seen the church deny people the ability to come into church because they don't have proper shoes, and I invite them in anyway. So so we went and bought bought Brutus some shoes. And he came to church. And he, uh, he came up after the message that you, where I was sweating like a stuck pig. Um, he, he, he came up after that church service. He said, thank you, Pastor Richard, for what you said. It meant something to me. And again, the aggressiveness of the culture, so I did exactly what every uh, Haitian man would do, and I thumped him on the chest. Uh, boom! I said, God has a plan for you, Brutus. And you need to recognize the plan that God has for you. And you need to submit to those plans that God has for you. And I know you're not ready right now, but you will be ready. And you need to be prepared. And you need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And you need to place yourself in this church with Pastor David so that he can minister to you and show you the way to Jesus. And I said, I know you're not there yet, my brother, but you will be. And I said, the next time I come back here, I'm going to be looking for good things. I'm going to be looking for you, Brutus, and it's not for a fight. I'm going to be looking for you and see what God has done in your life. And so that's the, that's the, 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 that's the Brutus story. And then I think the last picture uh, really, really sums up the trip. And I, trust me, I only sat down for a minute. <laughs> but dude, I passed out. I sat down, Jalovny's sticking that radio antenna up my nose. I sat down on a box on day eight, and I, and I passed out. And I'm going to tell you, I was only asleep for a minute. Um, they tell me it was a little while longer. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with my story because I'm telling it, right? I can tell it any way I want to. My dad used to say, it's your story. Tell it any way you want to. So, um, but that, that was, uh, that kind of summed up the, the, the trip right there was uh, after uh, 12 days of trying to keep people alive and keep a clinic going and everything, I literally just sat down for a minute. Um, but seriously, I want to, Natalie said a couple of things in her video that I, and I don't know if you guys picked it up, but they're essential to what I really want to talk about this morning. That, that was, by the way, part one. Okay. Um, she said a couple things, uh, and, and as I've been sitting and wrestling with what uh, 
I was to say, speak about in Haiti because you never know that you're going to speak, but you know that you're going to speak um, when you go to a foreign nation. Uh, you never, I don't care who it is, I told everybody on the team, you guys don't know which one of you are going to be called on to speak, and it's not always the pastor. Um, so just be prepared, have a message, because you're, you're, you may be preaching, we don't know. Um, but as I was uh, kind of wrestling through what I was supposed to talk about, the Holy Spirit just kept uh, prompting me and saying, struggles are real. Struggles are real. Um, in the last uh, several weeks, my heart was broken as I watched the things going on to my family. Uh, I served in this community where the, all this earthquake and everything happened for almost 10 years, 10 summers. Watching my family go through the assassination of their president. Watching my family uh, as their homes were destroyed from an earthquake. Watching my family then uh, that, that has to go through all of that. And then, you know, Hurricane Grace has to come in and help out a little bit more too in the same community. Is, is devastated with Hurricane Grace as it came through the same community. And, and people... Homes were damaged and their lives were taken right before their very eyes. Guys, the world's a mess right now from a disaster relief standpoint. It is a mess. And I want to introduce you to this picture uh, of a woman. Her name is Doretha Dennis. Um, I want to tell you, normally in FDR world, we have three disasters going on. We have 18 active disasters going on in the world right now. 18. Uh, There's only four of us that are kind of monitoring the world. Um, but Doretha Dennis was a, uh, a lady. She is a, uh, a deacon in the church. And uh, Doretha was, came to us to, to volunteer at the clinic. And um, there's a whole testimony that goes behind this that uh, if you're ever interested, I can show it to you. It's obviously in Creole. Um, but... Uh, Doretha lost 11 members of her family in her own home the day the earthquake happened. Before her very eyes, 11 members of her family were killed as the second floor or the roof that is concrete came crashing down upon all of them. The only ones that made it through was her son and her daughter. And her, uh, her daughter was, worked in our pharmacy uh, the entire time we were there. She's a medical professional. Um, and her son is uh, in, in university to be a doctor. And Doretha is enduring all of this. Doretha lost her husband in the 2010 earthquake. So for 10 years, or for, what, 12 years now, Doretha has been handling her children and monitoring and putting them through college all on her own. All on her own, all by herself. But her world came crashing down when 11 members of her family, and I asked her, I said to her, Doretha, I don't understand. I don't even understand how you, how, how, how do you rationalize that? I don't understand. But that's not all, church. There's, um, there's things that are happening to our brothers and sisters all around the world. Everywhere. There's things that are happening to them. As I said, 18 active disasters are happening in the world right now that my team and I are responding to. Uh, Fires are happening right now to people in Oregon, California, 
Washington, people are living in the Walmart parking lot in tents. And we're sending water and food and anything that we can possibly get to them. Fires are happening right now in Turkey. Turkey, the, the country is burning down. But you know what? There's no buildings to burn down in Turkey because everything's made out of concrete. But what's burning down is all of their animals. Everything that, 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 that sustains life for them is their animals. That's how Turkish people live. Is so, so when Foursquare Disaster Relief responds, we don't respond with building projects and everything. We're buying alpacas and all these kind of animals to try to bring normalcy back into their life to help them to restore their life to where it's at. People that I care about deeply, deeply all over the world are suffering. I talked to you guys about the, the famine and things that are going on in Sierra Leone. People are dying, literally dying from lack of food because of the famine that's caused by all kinds of factors. There's governmental factors. There's all kinds of factors. But people are literally starving to death. The floods that are happening, that just were happening in Tennessee and in China. In China, people are drowning in the subways in Beijing. Drowning. People are drowning uh, as the banks of rivers are flowing over in Tennessee and killing people. A mine, I just sent Pastor Richie the, the, the video to just be praying for it. Um, a mine in Sierra Leone just collapsed as people were out foraging for food, looking for food, not even mine workers. They were out doing what they normally do every day, foraging for anything that happens to be on the ground that they can eat. And a mine collapsed, and hun- hundreds of people were trapped, buried alive. And the, the Sierra Leone people are there with sticks and, and shovels trying to dig their countrymen out. And, and I, I, I have the videos of that, and, and it, but they're s- way too graphic to show in this kind of environment. And this, it, 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 it's, it's heart-wrenching, it, and it's too graphic to show you. But uh, just know that uh, people are struggling. I'm going to show you a, a, a little bit of the physical, um, a few pictures of the physical devastation that's happening in Haiti, but I, I, I want to preface that with this. The pictures I'm going to show you are mild because the Haitian people do not want you, they don't want to be on display. We actually had one of our teammates trying to take a picture out the window of the bus. They call them tap-taps. Um, it's an interesting story. They call them tap-taps because you tap on them, and that means you, I want to get out. Um, or as they're driving down the street, you tap on them, and that means I want to get in. Um, and they always ask, uh, you know, how many people can ride in a tap-tap? And the answer is one more. Doesn't matter if in the back of that Datsun pickup there's 42 people, one more. One more can always fit in a tap tap. Um, but anyway, as we were driving by, one of our teammates was trying to take a picture out the window, and a guy picked up a bunch of rocks and was about to throw them at us because he didn't want us to take pictures of their devastation. And, and parade them around sometimes as we do in our country. One, we want to take pictures of the poor little starving kids, and we want to take pictures of all of this stuff, and there's, there's no real reason except for our own satisfaction that we sometimes want to take these pictures, and he was mad. Do not take pictures of what's going on here. If you want to come and help me, 
pick up rocks off of somebody that's potentially dead underneath this pile, then come on. But don't take pictures. If you want to help me, come on. But don't take pictures. So I'm going to show you a couple of the pictures that were not ones where, where we would have been in harm's way, and, and they're, they're very, very, very mild. But there's a, three of them I'm going to show you. Um, that's uh, just driving down the road in, in Kai, and the ground just opened up, and buildings are just, just they just went away. Um, go to the next one there. That is a, that's a home, and the front wall has gone this way, and the roof came this way, and um, we don't know at this point in time. I don't know if there's uh, people in there or not. The, the death toll of, uh, in Haiti was luckily not 200,000 like it was in the 2010 earthquake. It's only 2,207, but there's uh, uh, still about 600 that are missing. And I say that 600 are missing very loosely because that's with uh, numbers that are, they don't keep track of people like we do. Um, the next picture is uh, just, uh, again, a, a, a home. Somebody was living in that home. I spent hours, because uh, that's part of what I do, perusing, looking at these videos, trying to figure out, God, what are, you, what are you calling us to do? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to help? Uh, and, and seeing the devastation that's happening all over the world and people that I dearly love and care about, watching them suffer, it's frightening. It's frightening to watch. And, uh, but after uh, trying to think about this message and how I was going to prepare for this uh, before I went to Haiti and, and even last, uh, <laughs> the last week preparing for that to speak here, uh, I've been wrestling with this. Uh, and, and I was re- reminded as I was reflecting back on um, the day that I accepted the Lord at a small church here in Las Vegas with my wife, Jackie. And uh, you wonder, how, well, how do the two correlate? Well, I'm going to tell you. We were both baptized about a week or so after Jesus weeks asked Jesus into our life. And I vividly remember what Mac McClure said to me that day. Uh, right after we were saved, right after we were baptized, he looked at me and says, well, that was the easy part. I'm like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. That was the easy part. That was hard, man. I got out of the chair. I walked up front. I said, yes, Jesus. And that was hard mean that was the easy part he says now you have to live out that commitment and that promise that you made to the lord for the rest of your life no matter what the circumstances and no matter what the struggles are that you're thrown he also said don't be surprised about the struggles to come the enemy will do his best to distract you from your calling on your life the enemy has been hard at work uh in recent months, trying to tr- distract me from my calling. And it is uh, through the love of Living Grace. It is through the love of Pastor Richie and Don. It is through the love of you guys that, uh, that what, what, what the enemy meant for distraction has turned into passion. Even more passion than, than I've ever had in my life. The enemy cannot stop what the Lord has started. And I will not allow that. 
I never realized how profound those words would be uh, that, that Max said to me. So struggles and the battles in life are real. They are very, very, very real. Devastation and a heartache are all part of our lives, saved or not. And there's no promise that when we're saved that we'll, we won't have struggle. You know, we listen to people all the time. Natalie said in the video, we had several people come to us in our clinics and say to us, you know, I used to trust in Jesus, but things got hard. And so I gave up on him. And we heard that time and time again, guys, in our clinic, time and time again. I used to trust Jesus, but it's too hard, and he wasn't there. Or, or I just didn't have the endurance to, to, to continue to, to hold on. But clearly, uh, church, uh, people are giving up on Jesus, and that's tough. And that's not right. And that statement breaks my heart to even think about. But if I'm honest with you, and I hope we can be honest in church, I've been to that point a time or two in my life where I went, man, it is just too hard. I don't know if I can endure it anymore. God, I don't know that I have the ability to handle it. And so, you know what, God, maybe, maybe following you is just not worth it. Maybe the fact that I'm following you is why, the, is why the attacks on my family has happened, is why people in my family had to die. Maybe that was the reason, because I trusted you, and, and so the, the enemy has to attack me. And we're all going to go there at some point in our life, and the key is, is not to live there. Don't stay there. Because when you stay there, that's what what gives the enemy that foothold to say, I got them now. I got them now. They're on the retreat. And and it it, it can't happen. You know, we think about sometimes that, well, those are only decisions. Those are only things that happen in other nations where calamity and all kinds of things have happened to them. And, you know, that's that's not the life we live. We live in America. Well, I know Pastor Richie's done five funerals in the last week. That caused struggles in somebody's life. And so there's, there's two choices that are going to happen in, in those moments. One of two choices, because there's only two. People are going to run to God or they're going to run from God. No other way. They're not going to stay right where they're at. They're going to run to or right, run from. And, and that's, that's what's real. So I have, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Richard... Why do we have to suffer? And why do we have to fight so hard if we serve such a loving and caring God? How many people have ever heard that? Oh, your God's so loving and caring. He can't be because you guys, why would he he be all-powerful and why would he allow people to go through things if he's that all-powerful? Well, uh, I can tell you that anybody that has said that is a person that's on the verge of giving up. And that's a person that we need to we need to spend time with. And we spent much time with some of those folks in our clinic when, when they would say, I gave up on Jesus. And I'm going, oh, we need to go and talk. Because you know what? I can't give you enough medicine to fix that problem, but I can give you a little bit more Jesus to fix that problem. We, we can handle that. We can work through that. 
So why are struggles so difficult in the life of a believer? And I respond simply, why would we not have to suffer? And, and why would we not have hardship? We live in the same world, same broken world, both believer and unbeliever. We come from the same creator, and we have the same human condition. So why wouldn't we suffer? Of course we're going to suffer. And so, so you look at it just a little bit further in John 16.33. The Bible tells us, I have told you these things so that you, uh, that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It doesn't say, you know, tr- you, might, you might have some trouble in your life, Don. You might. No, it says you will. It, it, it's, it's affirmative. It's going to happen. Um, the only thing that we can hope for is that when it does happen, we remember, uh, wow, he told me that was going to happen, so it shouldn't be a surprise to me. Now I need to figure out how to, how to justify that. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're exempt from struggle. If we never had to struggle, we would never grow. We would never get better. And most importantly, we would never give up control of our life. We would think that that everything I can do, I, I, I'm in control of everything I do. We would never yield our will to the Lord and allow Him to take control of our lives. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produce, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And again, the question's asked, how could a loving God allow his creation to suffer? Well, he can and does allow us to suffer in the same way that he allowed his son Jesus to come to this world and to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. If God's going to send his son into that, what makes us think that we're above that? Because if we were above that, guess what Who guess what we would be? We would be God and we're not. Right? If, if we're above what God would do, then that makes us God. And we're not. But why? Why? I don't understand why. And the question keeps coming. The question keeps coming. Why? What? Why does this question continue to persist? Um, I bet every person in this room has asked that question. God, why? I know I have. Why? Why does all this stuff happen? happen? Because for a moment, again, we lose, we, lose, we lose focus. And when we lose focus, the enemy comes in and starts working that. And he works that. Why me? I haven't killed anybody lately I haven't done drugs recently I haven't hurt anybody today Uh, I'm a good person I hear people say that all the time I'm a good person yeah well scripture has something directly contradictory to that Romans 3 12 says all have turned away They all have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's pretty definitive that uh, 
that, that we're not good. Uh, the reality is that both good and bad things happen to both good and bad people. And some people do good things, and we all are good sometimes, but our nature is sinful. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I have a few suggestions, a few things. This is uh, part, the first four parts of the three-part sermon that we do. We'll have three or f- couple, a couple of three-point sermons uh, in. <laughs> Y'all just bear with me. It'll be all right. <laughs> so here's a few reasons why I believe that we have to struggle. Number one is uh, we are the only ones who can take it. Um, as Christians, we have a relationship with the Savior that makes us uniquely qualified to handle struggles. Who is better to handle struggles than, than ones that walk hand-in-hand hand with Jesus? Man, if that doesn't give us some strength to, to suffer through our struggles, knowing that Jesus is right by us, my wife uh, used to do cross-stitch years ago, and uh, she did a, a, a cross-stitch, the, the, the poem Footprints. And anybody that's ever been in the Christian world for any amount of time, it's talking about, you know, walking down the beach, and there's two sets of footprints. And uh, the person says to God, God, every time I was struggling in my life, I only saw one set of footprints. Why'd you leave me, God? To which the Lord replied, I didn't leave you, I was carrying you. And that's, we have a God that, that will carry us through our struggles. And he promises he's going to, so that, again, that makes us uniquely qualified to handle struggles. Philippians 4, 5 through 7 says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The second part is the Bible talks a lot about suffering. So we should be prepared for struggles. I've told uh, mission teams that have gone out with me before that I says, guys, be all up in your Bible. Be all up in your in your devotions, because in the next few weeks leading up to the opportunity to go on mission, the enemy is going to be all up in your business. And he's going to do everything he can to distract you. And so just remember what I told you, because when it happens, not if it happens, but when it happens, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that's right. Pastor Richard told me I was going to get jacked up in this moment, and, and the enemy was going to try to distract me. And so that's about the same thing about struggles. The Bible tells us that we're going to suffer, and so we should, it shouldn't be a big surprise. It's not a big surprise to the Lord. He knows. He knows it was going to happen. We also serve a God that, uh, that has our, all of our joys and all of our sufferings in his hands. The things that happen in our lives, the suffering, the, are not a surprise. He knew it was going to happen. Some would say he orchestrated it. I don't believe that. I think he allows things. But, but, but it wasn't a surprise. He, he knew what was going to happen. And the fourth thing is Jesus endured more suffering and torturous death on the cross. And if he endured suffering, that makes us think we'd be exempt. 
If Jesus is willing to suffer and die for us, what makes us think we would be exempt? That would be foolishness for us to think that we were exempt. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light... For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And then the question persists, so I guess there's no answer to my question about why me. Oh, church, that couldn't be further from the truth. Perhaps the biggest reason for suffering in our lives is that God is using our struggles to strengthen and grow our faith so we can help others in similar situations. I can't tell you how many people I've been able to counsel over the years that I've been in ministry um, that are involved in drugs, and, and I can counsel them because I was that. I've lived in those shoes. I've lived in that life. I've lived there. Uh, I, I know it. I don't have to say, geez, I, 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 I think I understand what you're going through. No, I, I understand. I, I understand. And so it gives us an opportunity. God takes our struggles and the things that, that he, he, he allows us to go through, and he uses them because nothing's wasted. God doesn't waste anything. He takes those struggles, and he uses them for his glory so that he can bring somebody through. I have spent many times ministering to people that my senior pastor couldn't minister to because he had no idea what they were going through. But I did. I did. And so that's why God, he doesn't waste anything. He allows us to go through some things. Um, uh, Romans eight eighteen says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. God wins. We win in the end. You know, this is one of those cool things. I was listening to somebody the other day, and they said that, that, that their, their wife always reads the end of the book first. And, and I guess there's some thing that, that if you read the end of the book first and you know how it's going to turn out, that somehow it makes the read more enjoyable. And I think that that's true in this case. Because guess what? In the end, we win. And then you talk about all these scriptures talking about we're going to suffer and we're going to have to persevere. And at the, in the end, we win. So if we read all of that stuff before in light of the fact that we win, wow, doesn't that make the read a little bit easier to handle? We're like, wow, okay, all right, fine, I can handle that because God's with me and we got it, you know, and we win in the end anyway. Isn't that, that's amazing. So the, the, the scripture that I want to concentrate mostly on today uh, and hope that you can find encouragement in it is First Peter 1, 6 through 9. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had grief or suffer had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes though uh, even though refined by fire may result in praise glory honor when jesus christ is revealed though we have not seen him you love him 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with in unexpressible, inexpressible uh, and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In this passage, Peter encourages his readers amidst their suffering, both present and future. Verse 6 tells us that we are to rejoice in the suffering that will come to us for a little while. Not, not, not for permanent. It's gonna, we're going to suffer for a little while. This misconception has led people to believe that uh, all the struggles will go away once they accept the Lord. Mm, I just don't find any truth in that. I've never read that. Can't find it anywhere. I've looked. I've looked because I want to say, Lord, I don't no, it's not there. It's not there. I'm here to tell you that that couldn't be any further from the truth. Christians will have family drama. They will have financial problems. They will get sued. They will have marriage problems. They will get cancer. They will get sick. And eventually Christians will die. Sorry. It's just, that's the, the human condition. The human condition that we, we're all part of. Um, though we do not understand why bad things are happening to us, we need to remember that we serve a sovereign God and that he has a plan. He has a plan for our lives. There's an old saying that says that if God brings you to a trial, that he'll bring you through it. Uh, if you're not going through something right now, if you're not struggling with right, something right now, don't worry. It'll happen in the next five minutes. <laughs> or ten minutes. Because it's, it's, it's going to happen. We're, we're, we're going to struggle. This life does not exempt us from struggle. But remember that God is not surprised by anything that we're going through. He knew it was going to happen before it happened. And I think we should continue to look to Scripture to find the encouragement we need amid struggle. Verse 7 and 8 of 1 Peter tells us that like fine gold, the Lord will use fire to refine us and to strengthen our faith. I've been told that... uh, and experience this, that when, when again, I, I think I said this before, when people struggle, that they'll cause them to run to or run from Jesus. They're going to go one or the other direction. And I pray that you will find rest in the knowledge that God is still sovereign and he's still on the throne. And even though we don't see him or we don't feel him sometimes, he is there. He is there. He promises us he'll be there. And, and we don't have to feel him every moment to know he's there. That's what faith is. And we're supposed to be faithful. So instead of asking, why me? Uh, and and why, uh, why things happen, maybe we should look at our struggles with a new set of responses. And I'm going to give you three new sets of responses. How about you? Ready for that? Confidence. Maybe we should look at our struggles with confidence in God that he knows what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. And again, sometimes he has to take us and shape us. Maybe God's even possibly leading us into a better future. We don't know. We don't know. I don't remember many times driving uh, home at night when in my younger days. I don't remember driving home many times because I was so out of it. But, but God took that 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 struggle that I was going through and has changed it into a ministry where I can help people. You know, 
by knocking off the rough edges, that's what makes us smooth. You know, that's, that's how you polish in rocks is they put them in a tumbler and let them bang on each other and knock the rough edges off. Man, and it is painful. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But maybe, maybe right now you're, going, you're in that tumbler and God's just rocking your world a little bit to knock some rough edges off of you. Because as we, uh, those stones bang and rub up against each other, that's what makes them shiny and smooth. Maybe God's polishing us for a better future. Perseverance is the second one. We can face our struggles and not give in to bitterness and despair. If we could persevere through that, if we can look to God and say, God, I know you have something. I don't know what it is, and I don't have to understand but I know you have something that, uh, that, that we would allow each struggle we encounter to shape us and to mold us into the future that God has for us. I found that, uh, again, God uses those challenges in our life to uniquely train us. And maybe we can, uh, the, the third thing is maybe we can look at our struggles with courage, that we need not be afraid that God will carry us through everything we encounter if we just ask him. He will carry us through if we just ask him. So how do you deal? So how do you, we deal with our struggles? This is simple, uh, but not easy. Um, we serve the Lord wholeheartedly even during a real struggle. But verse 9 tells us uh, we can rejoice amid our struggles because struggles are the evidence of our salvation. You know, if we don't struggle, we, there's no, nothing to be saved from, right? Uh, when I asked Doretha, the lady that uh, lost 11 of her family members, how she endures, I said, Doretha, when I was there, the earthquake had only happened two or three weeks earlier. I said, how, Doretha, do you endure? I don't understand. How? How are you here serving in this medical clinic? How are you even able to get yourself out of bed? How? And she said, God knows what's best for me. And it's not my right to question him in his sovereignty. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to say. She says, I must trust him completely. I must trust him completely. Again, Doretha worked in our clinic for all eight days of the clinic, traveled us with the whole time. Um, so as we close up today, I wanted, uh, I, I'd like to offer an answer to the question of why me? I've given you a whole bunch of other things, but uh, we can rejoice in our struggles because we are secure in the Lord no matter how hot the fire gets. We're secure because he promises that, that, that he's there with us. And if he promises, God's not a liar. If he promises, guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We can rejoice during our struggles because the Father will receive glory through our lives and through our circumstances when we live for him. And the third thing, we can rejoice amid our struggles because we don't have to walk through the fire alone. We have a Savior that is there 
that is there to walk with us, that's there with us the whole time. So the question is, do you believe any of that, church? This is the point when you respond. Do you believe that? Because if, we, if you don't, we're missing the point of this Christian walk. God will walk with us all the way. So, Living Grace, please don't lose your faith that God is in charge of all and he has a plan. I came across this quote that I think explains it all. Everyone walks through the fire of adversity, but whatever your experiences, joys or sorrows, our amazing God can use every bit of your life to produce the most unexpected results. So I, we're going to try something this morning that um, doesn't always work in the American church because we're content in our chairs. Um, but I'm going to ask uh, if any of you are struggling with anything, if you'd raise your hand. Uh, I, I got both hands up because I have struggles. And, and if we're honest, if we're really honest, There shouldn't be a hand in this room that's not raised because every one of us is struggling or has struggled or will in the next few minutes. And and the second part of that is how many of you guys have tried to handle those struggles on your own? Yeah, because we do. Again, the human condition. Well, today I challenge you to recognize that you cannot handle it on your own. And I'm going to ask you to come forward right here so that we can pray with you. And uh, this overseas, this, is, this always gets, everybody ends up out of their chairs. And I, and, and I don't know if that's going to happen here today or not. But you know what? Every one of us has struggles and every one of us needs prayer. Every one of us some, somewhere has a broken relationship that needs repairing. Every one of us has sickness and death and things that have happened in our life. Every one of us has financial troubles possibly. Every one of us has some struggle that's going on in your life and if you're not up here right now and if you're not able to receive some prayer, then praise God for that, for you. But I'm going to come down here and and ask the rest of our team to come up and pray with you and I I, I pray that you wouldn't hold on to those, those struggles on your own because you are not designed to carry those struggles on your own. God didn't intend for you to hold those on your own. God told us to be burden bearers for each other. God asks us to come and to lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross so that he can sustain us. He, not, I, not us, not me. He can sustain us. He can bring us into right relationship. And maybe some of you here today don't even know who this Jesus guy is. If that's you today too, let one of our, our, our pastors or whatever come and pray with you that, that you would find the gift that is above all of the gifts that, that, that has no capacity to be outdone, outgiven. I'm going to come down and I'm going to pray with you guys because uh, I, I need that prayer as well. But um, continue to come if you, if you need prayer, if you need intervention. So God, I thank you for each of these people that are up here today. God, I thank you for their lives. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you that we're able to lay down the burdens that we have. 
the, 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 the struggles that we go through each and every day. God, I thank you for, that we have the ability to lay them down at the feet of the cross and that, Jesus, you will receive them. That, Jesus, you, you and you alone, God, are our Lord. God, you tell us that you will rescue us. God, you tell us that you will sustain us. God, you tell us to lay things down at your feet and that, God, you will pick them up. You tell us, God, that we're not to carry things, that it's not our job to carry those burdens, that it's not, it's your job, it's you, Jesus, that are responsible to carry the burdens that, 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 that we have in each of our lives. God, it is not our burden to carry. God, you're, <laughs> you, you make the, the yoke light. God, you make the ability to walk through the struggles of our life easy. God, as long as we keep our eyes focused in the right way, God, as long as we continue to press into you, God, you will show us the way. So God, I thank you for lives today. I thank you, God, that you have people that have come today that God need to lay those burdens down at your feet. And God, I just pray that you would continue to work in the lives around us. God, that you would sustain us, Jesus. God, that we would lay everything down at your feet, everything that burdens us, everything that that consumes us, everything that holds us captive. God, may it be a freeing in the name of Jesus right now. May you free us, God, from the struggles that we have. And God, if the time is not right, then give us the the perseverance to continue to endure. God, until the time that you see it necessary, that you see the opportunity, God, to take us and to heal us and to restore us. God, we lay it all down at your feet. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing. And God, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know who you are, God, I just pray that you would, that that, that God, you would open up hearts to receive who you are. God, that there would be a surrendering, that there would be a laying down of our lives, Jesus, that we might kneel before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we might, that we might be able to ask you, Lord, into our into your heart, into our heart. God, that we might serve you with every bit of, of who we are. God, that we might pour our lives into you and that you might pour your life into us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you're doing. We love you, Lord. Man, I don't even know how I lived so many years of my life without you. But God, I, I don't have to live any of those years ever without you again because you are there ever present with me. And God, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to stay some, spend some time here at the altar and just... Uh, continue to pray. Our team will be here and we'll continue to pray with you and and lift you up and and, uh, 
is amazing to see God working in such a miraculous and such a beautiful way.